Hello, everyone, and welcome. Last week or a couple weeks ago, we talked about blending. And we, in that episode, said, hey, we're going to have a part two. So guess what? We're here, part two. (laughs) So last week, we talked about kind of how winemakers taste things and decide how to blend it all together. So this week is a little different because we will be talking about blending and the actual process and the like how-tos of putting those two wines together in the tank. Maybe the barrel, Haley? I don't know. We'll find out. So with that, let's get started. I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. So as I said, Last week, we defined blending, but is there anything else that we need to add that makes a little bit more sense to the topic in mind this week, Kaylee? Well, I know that we talked a, bit, a little bit about it last week. So blending is can be a couple different things. Last week, it was how, how like you were saying, how to decide which wines are going to be put together. Mm-hmm. So that's blending. That's what you're, as a consumer, if you're looking at like a winery's website and they're having a blending class, that's what it's going to be. As you sit down at a table, you get to mix some wines together and just, and make your own blend. But that's like, you know, at the table. Yeah. To this week, we're talking about the actual putting this barrel or this lot of wine, like multiple gallons, you know, probably hundreds or thousands of gallons in a tank with other lots or barrels of wine, tens or hundreds or thousands of gallons together, and then what to do afterward. So this is all happening in the cellar, in Mm -hmm. the big building, (laughs) (laughs) with all the tanks or barrels. Barrels, yeah. So what does that look like? What type of equipment's being used? And can you talk for both the people that are kind of like more smaller scale to the larger scale? Yes. we. So most of this is going to look very similar no matter what size you are. It's just what size of tank you're actually blending into that might change. Okay. One thing you're going to need uh, or the way it's going to look is if you're aging your wines in barrels, you're going to have mm-hmm. your barrels laid out on the floor that you're going to be pulling wine out of. If you're a home winemaker and you're just in carboys, then you're going to have all your carboys that you're going to put in t- together, lined up together. The other the, uh, side of the scale, like huge, you might just have all of your wine aging in tanks and you're and those are going to be stationary. So they're just going to be where they are <laughs> and okay. ready to you know, add different things together. The other equipment that you're going to need is... Are you adding those big tanks and mixing the big tanks together into new tanks then? You will. And the way okay. that you're going to do that is with a pump. So you're going to okay. move your wine with a pump. The thing for kind of the mid-scale or most wineries is... You want to be pretty gentle with those barrels when you're moving them or your carboys if you're a home winemaker because you're probably going to have a layer of lees. Mm -hmm. You guys don't know what lees are. It's the solid stuff at the bottom or the solid stuff that might be in your wine. Go back a couple episodes and listen to our episode about lees. And Mm -hmm. this is, is, you know, one of those points that sometimes people brag about, oh, we rack our wine, you know, 10, 20 times before we actually bottle it. So you're going to be, you want to leave the lees in the barrel 
and rack all the clear wine off of the top. Yeah. So you want to be gentle while you're moving those barrels around. But you you do more more than likely want to move the barrels into a place where you can work with them rather than emptying them in place in your barrel room because that can get really complicated. Depends on your size. Some people just to work you know, in situ and that's fine too. So when you're thinking about moving, again, forklift moving so that the mm-hmm. stuff that's settled at the bottom is minimally moving around. Right. And then you're basically siphoning off the top stuff. That's right. And the way that you do that with a pump is you have a special, we've talked, we talked about it when we, in our yeah. racking episode, our Lee's episode, you have a special thing that goes down into the bottom, but it has a pin that you can make shorter or longer so that you're, you're pulling the wine from a taller point in the barrel or closer to the bottom of the barrel. And then you have a sight glass above that where you're looking and to see if once you start pulling the solid stuff through, you can see that with the sight glass and you, you know, you know, you need to come up above that layer of lees. I remember that from that episode. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the equipment you need. You need uh, big tanks to go into and that's you need to make sure that you have enough room to blend all of your the wines that you want to put into a tank. Okay. Do you have any tips that are people that are blending in the cellar versus maybe like the home people? Because the home mm. people make sense where it's a little carboy and then yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you're putting it maybe into a barrel or you're putting it into a bigger carboy right. based on it. But yes. is there some specific cellar things? Yeah. Well, I think that the number one thing is double check your math. Always math. As, always assume that you're going to have more wine than you think okay. because uh, it's better to have a couple inches left in your tank than to all of a sudden be spewing wine out the top of your tank. <laughs> and not knowing where to put it because then yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, I got to drink it, I guess, right now. Yeah. <laughs> I just think of like pouring a a cup of of something and then having it like, oh no, it's overflowing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's my number one suggestion is double check your math. Always round up so that you know you have enough space in your tanks when you're blending. So if you're going to do... Let's just make the numbers easy. Say you have yeah, 100 gallons. Yeah, I was going to ask for like a little math equation of yeah. sorts that people are going to do. Say you have a 100-gallon tank and you have okay. 10 barrels... This is okay. not the correct. The, no, <laughs> barrels are not 10 gallons, but let's just say that. I would be nervous as someone that has worked in the cellar to put all 10 barrels into a 100-gallon tank. I would rather okay. go to a bigger tank. Okay. Because you all, just for some reason, you, you know, the bubbles, that the wine that you maybe have in the line of the, of the pump, there's just always seems to be more wine than you thought. So you want to go into that bigger tank size. So that's my even number one. Even though you're not pulling the lees off, which yeah, is a even portion though. of it. Right. Okay. You, you might have stuff left over, but still you want to go into that like 110, 120-gallon tank rather than the 100-gallon tank just to make sure you have you, d- you don't blow the lid and, and have a big mess. And it's okay to have that space. I think about back to our fermentation and talking about, which I mean at this point, hopefully it's getting past there a little bit, but... Um, I think about, you know, the role oxygen and mm-hmm. having that space is important or not important. Right. You know, it's, you want to consider. You, oxygen is not your friend at this point. So you want to do as little movement of wine as possible. So there's as little oxygen entering the In, wine and oxidizing the wine as possible. But you also, 
have the practical side of things. Like you don't want to overflow your tank. So my suggestion would be to layer your tank with an inert gas. That's another, oh, okay. you know, before you start filling the tank, you can put some nitrogen in there or maybe some argon, depending on things. And um, that will help to decrease the oxidation that happens. And also, my, I think that the more the better thing to do is to get things blended and then get them moved back out of the tank as soon as you as you can, whether that's back into barrel, if you're going to do more barrel aging as a blend, or mm-hmm. some people go straight into bottling after blending. So you could blend the wines and then, you know, maybe blend them a day or two before you're bottling rather than three weeks before. So they're not sitting okay. in a tank with headspace. That but makes yeah, sense. if you're going to blend into a tank and then it's going to sit there for a couple days or a couple weeks, uh, you want as little headspace as possible. Okay. Um, or no headspace really would be ideal. You want the tank completely full. And the other suggestion I have for people in this that work in the cellar and are, I guess I have two more suggestions. I just thought of another one. One would be lay your barrels out that you're working on and okay. mark them in multiple ways, like like with chalk maybe around the bunghole, on the actual barrel card, if you guys mark the fronts of your barrels, have them marked like blend one or whatever you're calling the blend. And okay. the other thing I like to do is like one of 10. If you have 10 barrels of something, you want to make sure you get all 10 barrels, not okay. miss one. And the yeah. second thing is more on the planning side, which is when uh, after you get your blends all made, like in our previous ex- episode where you've got them planned out and you've tasted and you're like, yeah, we're going to do these three things and then we're going to do this thing and have a master list of every single barrel that you should be using and make sure every single barrel is highlighted and put into a blend. Because there's been multiple times where I get to the end of blending and I realize we have three barrels left over and I'm like, well, which blends should these go into? We didn't have them slated oh, to go yeah. into anything. We just didn't realize we had forgotten to put three barrels into blends. I just had an aha moment and you would probably think this is silly. I was thinking about, I think before, when, <laughs> oh, it's so silly. Um, <laughs> I doubt um, it's silly. Before when we were talking about you know, blending to tasting, I was like still going through the whole process of like everything goes together. But I just had that aha moment of, no, you're just taking little bits from mm. the places and yeah. then just having, I will just say little small glasses. That yes. That's where you're making essentially the equations for your larger math to Completely. scale out yes, to yes, now yes. this episode's conversation. I hope that, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everybody, if that wasn't clear in the previous conversation. But yes, so... On the practical side no, of things, let's go back. I think it was, it was just me. <laughs> the practical side of things though, like if you haven't worked in this situation before and you have a team, or even if you don't have a team, if it's just you doing the blending, I highly recommend pulling, you know, let's say 300 milliliters out of each barrel or each carboy if you're at home, sitting down and blending like 10 milliliters of this carboy, 10 milliliters of this carboy, 10 milliliters of that carboy and seeing if you like it. If you don't, mm-hmm. then switch it up. Only do five milliliters or, you know, just just experiment. Pull like that small amount and then be the little yeah. sci- mad scientist where you're like just mixing things and adding things into beakers and measuring and seeing what makes sense. And all this is stuff you are not doing with sparkling wine because you're in the bottle. 
at this well, point. Well, yeah, you can do it with sparkling wine. That's what many of the champagne winemakers are like famous for is for blending. Okay. Okay. We do not at 3100. We keep everything okay. separate by vintage and vineyard block. Okay, cool. Up to this point, who knows? That could change. I don't know. So we were talking, we were kind of getting into with the oxidation, whatever yeah. conversation, thinking about the aging. And so I was just thinking thinking about the aging process and knowing that it's going to be changing more. I know that's a little bit back in like our last episode with tasting, but like mm-hmm. how what can things are you considering? Oh my word. I like that. No, I think we should start <laughs> using that. Considerating. I like it. <laughs> I can't even think of the correct word now. Considering. Uh, <laughs> considering as we scale that process up mm-hmm. and thinking about how that wine is going to age. Right. There's some different ideas behind that. So some people, like I said, they are going to blend and then bottle right away. Mm-hmm. In that case, they might be aging in the bottle or they might be preparing to get their wine to the consumer, in which case it's not going to age very long. Then the other side of the aisle would be winemakers that want to blend and then go back into barrel to do more aging. And they feel they feel like blending and then aging in the barrel more helps that wine to become mm. more cohesive rather than being able to like taste different parts or that kind of thing. There, It's going to be more of this blend experience. It's, it's one solid wine rather than a couple different parts of a wine. Okay. I'm not sure what the science is behind it. I'm sure there's people that have done experiments. That seems like a, a pretty um, common uh, belief in the wine world. But So there's probably some science behind it. And knowing how it's going to age, you can always assume how things are going to age. Higher acid wines or higher tannin wines, there's different reasons to age those so that the tannins either kind of soften and become more like I said, integrated into the wine. It's not so much of just this this abrasive experience. You just kind of want them to like be there rather than assault you with their their <laughs> mouth drying. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> and then there's also the acid, you know, waiting for an acid to, again, soften and become more integrated into the wine. <laughs> yeah. So that the flavors behind that acid are, bec- are becoming more of the focus rather than the like, oh my gosh, that's mouth searing acidity. Okay. So that's that, those are a couple of the things that people look at as wine ma- or winemakers look at as they're blending and going to age the wine more. You want to have everything in balance, but having that acidity and that tannin at a point where it's hopefully going to knit together and make more of a cohesive wine. Okay. I think that's a good way to transition to, we had a listener that wrote in after listening to our last episode about kind of blending and thinking, and they they did say, you know, they're more of on the beginner homemaker side of things. Okay. But even still, just for everywhere to the expert or, you know, to the, probably the experts kind of already know this, but <laughs> how do you know kind of when to stop? And so... I know that's getting a little bit more at that tasting side, but also kind of getting at what you were saying with evening out those different acidity right. levels and stuff like that. How do how does one learn, hey, this is a point that I want to stop and I know that it's going to age? Right. So I think there's probably two two parts in that question. So how do you know when you've when you're tasting things, when you've blended mm-hmm. a wine that you're happy with? Yeah. Unfortunately, it does just take practice okay. <laughs> because 
you do want to just like after you, even if you taste a wine and you're like, that was really good. I like it. I think we should make that blend. You yeah. might then say, well, maybe we can make it even better. And so there yeah. is a point where you just have to say, this is great. And that's where it's nice to go in with goals in mind. So one goal is, well, for most winemakers and winemaking teams, you're, you you want to use all the barrels in your vintage. You don't want to be yeah. left over, like I said, with three barrels and be like, oh, shoot, <laughs> we forgot about these three barrels and now where are we going to put them? In the family cellar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so you want to you want to make sure you use all the wine. Mm-hmm. The second thing, uh, sometimes different wineries have different goals. So like at Talaya, they have a house blend, the Taurus, which every year they make, it's always Syrah-based. So it's going to have more Syrah than any of the other grapes. So they kind of know what their template is to start with that blend. So okay. there's, it's nice to go in and say that. So maybe your goal is we want to make two wines this year. You know, we're, we're, we're a small growing winery or we're a, uh, we do stuff at home. And I know I want to make like a really big, bold red that's going to age for a couple years before we start drinking it. And I want to make a more table red that's ready to drink right now. And so that's maybe a great way to to say, to, you know, set a goal like that where you have kind of an idea of two different wines that you're making. So that that's that side. On the mm-hmm. other side, the actual, because this is where my, my mind went when you started asking the question, how do you stop in the cellar? Like, that's where, like I said, my mind oh, yeah. went. Like, how do you stop? Okay, now we've got the 2016s blended, but... I think we could go back and we could tweak things and we could add these couple of barrels together maybe this yeah. year because we're aging them more and this and that. Or maybe we can make a non-vintage blend. All that. So that comes into kind of a preference of winemaking. Okay. Uh, if you're not happy with something, see if you can blend it and make it into something that you like more. If you uh, are trying, like if you have a barrel that you, this happens to the best of them, even the cleanest seller, sometimes you have barrels that, something happens and you have a spoilage organism if yeah. you can if you can blend that away and you don't just have to dump it obviously that's better for you cuz you're not losing that investment that multi-year investment yeah so if you have a big enough blend that you can kind of hide something that that doesn't have the right stuff to it yeah. sometimes that's not possible sometimes there's wines that go so bad that you're like oh this is we just need to dump this or or sell it to a vinegar plant <laughs> that's a thing in the wine world. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so yeah, those are the, the the two things. Like, how do you know when to stop? It's okay. It really just takes practice. <laughs> this, to me, while you were talking, I was thinking that this point in the winemaking process is where I see the value of having a good mentor oh, and yeah. the value of just that experience. And so mm-hmm. leaning on your community, whether that's your local, Definitely. like, homebrew type community or that's going out to some of the other winemakers and saying, hey, I'm new to this. Yeah. Let's let's get mentorship on it because it's just one of those things that you got to learn and you got to go through and you're not going to know until you you do. Right. And so having that mentorship process will probably help a lot. 100%. The other thing that is super helpful that sometimes it's hard to do as someone not if you're just getting into the wine industry I highly recommend using the marketing that other wineries are doing if if there's another winery in your community that's hosting a blending class buy a ticket go see even just from the consumer side like just having that practice and tasting more wine and seeing what other people think and how they do things is a great learning experience okay 
obviously be respectful. If you work for another winery, don't go in and be like, oh, I work for so-and-so and and you should buy our wine. (laughs) Like be respectful too. Definitely go and learn from from your community. It's a huge, um, it's a great tool. I think the best way to learn is through our mistakes. So given that, what is or what are, there may be more, some of the biggest mistakes that, either you personally or people yeah. in general make while blending? Well, I'll talk from. about my <laughs> mistakes. Um, the I've talked about a couple already. Having barrels left over that you're like, oh, um, what are we going to do with these barrels? Yeah. <laughs> the second being, I have not, I have not double-checked my math and gone into tanks mm. and then had geysers to, to contend with. Oh. We are a small enough winery too that, well, when I was working at Talia, we were small enough that we had to blend into multiple tanks sometimes because we didn't have giant tanks to blend into. We had to kind of blend into to two big tanks rather than one huge tank. And sometimes when you're not planning far enough in advance, you get, you're like, okay, now we're ready to blend this one. And then you're like, oh shoot, one of those tanks is already full. So really yeah. thinking through the logistics of things, how does, a quick question, how yeah. does, when you're blending into multiple tanks like that, how does the math work? Are you just like, does it work out okay? Or do you sometimes kind of go, oh, this one's a little bit different than this one? Oh, no. We, yes. <laughs> yes, no, <laughs> no maybe <yes>. so. <laughs> Ashley was just, you know, like giving me hand signals, like is one tank fuller than the other tank? That should not be the case because you should be either pumping with a T on your pump so literally uh-huh. your wine is being pumped out of the barrel and then as it's going into the tank, it actually has a T. So there's there's um, half the wine is going into tank one and half the wine is going oh, into tank two. okay. And your tanks should also be daisy chained together. So you should have your tank connected with a hose so that you can circulate the wine so that it really does, it's not like one tank is getting too much of these barrels and one tank is getting too much of those okay. barrels. It's all all cohesive. So it's essentially one tank at that point. Yeah. And it takes a little extra work and maybe slight chance of more oxidation, but that's what you have to do if you don't have a big enough tank. You have to do two tanks. That makes so much sense because I was like, okay, then it's not actually blended. (laughs) You're still at the same point. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. And then I would say the best or not (laughs) best, maybe the opposite, the worst, uh, the thing that I've done that I've felt the worst about is I've blended a tank or like gone through, I'm like blending just like, okay, all these barrels. And then I go, oh my God, I just put that whole barrel into that tank and it wasn't supposed to go into that tank. (gasps) And now it's blended. Like now it's part of a different wine. It's not like you can take that barrel back out. So control, alt, delete. No. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In that case, I would say go to your winemaker and say, I just made a big boo-boo. They should be able to figure it out with you. Like whether that's, it's okay. Like these other wines, these other barrels are very similar. Let's pull that barrel back out so that we can put it into the correct blend. It's going to be a little Mm -hmm. different, but it'll be more or less the same. Or they'll say, okay, we'll figure it out. We'll just, you know, blend the rest of it. Let's taste and make sure everything is good. It's, this is not brain surgery. Nobody's going to die if you put the yeah. wrong barrel in the wrong blend. <laughs> yeah. Don't have anxiety like no. Vincent said. <laughs> yeah. It's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure there are others that I'm not thinking of, but th- that's that's the number one people that, or that 
the people that I've worked with are so nervous about like, oh my gosh, I just topped this wine with the wrong keg. Did I ruin it? And I'm like, no, you didn't ruin it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't stress. Now kind of closing the loop on our yeah. blending conversations. We can think about both of them too. Is there anything else that you wanted to clarify or bring up that we should just make sure for blending? And of course, if people have questions, we can always come back to this topic. Yeah, definitely. I did think about this question before we got on and I thought of a couple things. One, we talked briefly about this. There is such a thing as tyranny of options, like you were saying before. Just because you found 20 blends that you really love doesn't mean you should necessarily have 20 blends that are all 50 cases each. Maybe you should have three blends, you know, or whatever. It's just, there's, that's a really, especially if you're already working in a winery and like this, this, the last vintage, you had four blends say, and this vintage you're like, but I have 20 that I really love this year. It's like, well, that's maybe not the best marketing decision even. And it's really, that's a lot of stress on your yeah. Uh, winemaking staff too to like yeah. that's a lot of blends <laughs> put it in your notebook for next year <laughs> yeah or like you know make that a plan of like I want to keep growing our blends because it's so fun to blend and we always have so many options that I want to make sure yeah. we have like make sure that you have a plan to do it and that goes along the lines of what we said earlier like having a game plan when you go into blending can make it way easier so definitely do that and on that note if you're in a wine, if you're on a winery team, and especially if you have a front of house and back of house, like you have mm-hmm. wine sales, a wine sales team that's different from the winemaking team, talk to those people. Say, what do customers like? What mm-hmm. do you guys like? What sells well? Let's look at the yeah. numbers and make some decisions for your blending based on that. If you have a blend that you love and it's the best blend you've ever made, and it's three vintages old and nobody is buying it, that's that's great for you, but maybe not so great for your accountant (laughs) or, you know, whoever's doing your books. That's like, why can't we sell this wine? It's a great wine, but I need more of blend A instead of blend C. So talk to those people. And then um, I did think of something about the tasting portion. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, (laughs) when you're when you're blending things and like try 10 milliliters of this and 10 milliliters of that and two milliliters of this, that's super fun when you're like trying things out, but make sure that you taste things and like blend things when you're tasting as holes. And I mean that as Mm W-H-O-L-E-S, as in it's really hard to blend half of a barrel. And I think I said this in our our, um, episode last week. Make sure when you're testing things out that you're thinking of things as whole barrels or if you're a homemaker, home winemaker, your whole carboy. It's easier as a home winemaker to do partials because you're dealing with smaller amounts, typically clear vessels, so you're able to see yeah, it's really like I've I've been in the situation where I have to blend half a barrel into a blend and it's complicated. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. With that, I think we can wrap it up. Uh, yeah. I know that I have probably more questions. We can always come back to this more. And I think what was really fun about this episode and conversation for me is, as you notice, I had a couple of big aha moments. So <laughs> I think as our conversations are going on as the non-winemaker in the group that has dabbled in some of this fun stuff, what I have realized is I'm starting to see the connections of things oh, coming cool. together and how even the fermentation, how it pulls in. I mean, it doesn't 
maybe logically makes sense, but I think I it's think so. c- closing up that loop of like coming into kind of the final processes of the winemaking, yes. the actual winemaking, not going to the selling and the bottling and the, well, that's right. probably part of it. But yeah, but it's, it's, you're trying to understand the part of it that leads up to that. And that's yeah. starting to make so, more sense. That's really cool. Hopefully that is coming, becoming the case for some of our listeners as well. So Yeah. Well, thanks, everybody. We are so glad to be back with you for season two of Whole Cluster Conversation and would love to hear more from you about what you'd like us to cover. Like Ashley said, she's starting to, like, things are really starting to fall into place for her. Hopefully they are for you as well. And that means you have more questions about, you know, so I'm still a little hazy on this part of the process. Tell me more. We also got some feedback from listeners. We're going to be bouncing back and forth a little bit more between winemaking and ecology stuff and trying to keep our episodes um, pretty close to 30 minutes because that is a nice chunk of time to listen. And that could mean more two-parter episodes. So um, stay tuned for learning more about that. As always, subscribe, rate, and review if you can, and let us know what you want to hear about. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Vogel. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.